This podcast was recorded before a live telephone audience. This is Open Line with Michelle Naranjo and Chelsea Sexton, Episode 2 for July 2011, Green with Indy. You can watch and participate live on the first Tuesday of every month at AutolineDetroit.tv. Open Line starts at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific. Join in on the call at any time by dialing 1-712-432-0900 and entering PEN. 911633. Welcome to Auto Line, everyone. Um, I'm Michelle Morano from com, and I, of course, have my co host, Chelsea Sexton, and we are both in California. Chelsea's at chelseasexton.com, and we are going to be jo- joined here in a few minutes by Mark Dell from the Indianapolis. Speedway, so we can talk about what exciting projects they have going on. Um, of course, if you want to call in and ask a question, don't forget you can call in at 712-432-0900, and the access code is 911-633-POUND. Of course, you can find all of this information online and not on your phone or through your smartphone, I guess, at bit.ly forward slash open line and all the numbers and the pin numbers are there so during this time when we're recording for the podcast you can always push pound six no sorry star six that's different isn't it star six and you can ask mark and chelsea and i questions so chelsea you want to introduce your friend oh i muted you chelsea I was afraid she wasn't my friend anymore. <laughs> oh, no. She's like, I unfriended you on Facebook. You're gone on Twitter. Yeah. It's over, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> now I stalk him. He knows it. But I think Mark probably has one of the coolest jobs on earth, or at least works at one of the coolest places on earth. And having been there a couple times recently, I believe that even more so now. So I had to invite him to come on so we could grill him about all the cool things that go on in Indianapolis. So thank you for joining us and being subjected to our little party, Mark. I'm delighted to be here, Chelsea. <laughs> so Hi, Michelle. Tell Hi, Mark. us a little bit about... Um, so obviously, you know, Indianapolis Motor Speedway, the place of your lot of history, just passed a giant milestone. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what has been going on there? Absolutely. Well, we just completed our uh, 96th running of the Indy 500, which also happens to be our 100th anniversary. A uh, few of the races were not conducted during the World Wars, so our 100th running will actually be coming up in 2016. But it was a big milestone to uh, actually think that the first Indianapolis 500 was ran 100 years ago. And in the course of planning all that, uh, our fans are pretty demanding people, and they uh, love the history of the event, and they love the current drivers and uh, the sense of technology behind it. So it's a real mix when you think about how do you celebrate the history and, and all the heroes that have been here for 10 decades now and still cast 
a vision ahead that satisfies people to say that, hey, this sport is relevant, um, the Speedway is still all about bringing the latest technology to a proving ground, which, when the Speedway was founded in 1909, that was its original me- uh, mission, was to be a proving ground for emerging technology, and we retain that today. That's fantastic. And actually, I read somewhere that the first event held there was actually not car racing, but a different sort of alternative transportation. Is that right? Yes, it was. Our president at the time, um, really the man that had the vision for the place, was a avid balloonist. He was fascinated by uh, aviation, which, of course, was just emerging at that time as well. And he was actually the 21st person in the United States to be licensed as a balloon pilot. And uh, he decided to uh, bid for and was able to succeed in attracting, they had national championships for uh, balloon contests in those days. And uh, and he had successfully attracted um, that contest to Indianapolis in June of 1909, which was actually about eight weeks before the track was, the running surface was completed so that um, first motorcycles and then cars could compete there. How fun. So tell us how you ended up there. Uh, it's a long, convoluted story, really. And I, uh, been a, I grew up in Indianapolis. I've been a lifelong fan of the place. I've been a sponsor. In fact, I uh, managed the sponsorship of the car that won the Indy 500 in 1997. Um, I'm also a bit of a historian, so I've written a number of different articles. And so I was doing some... Uh, variety of um, articles for the Speedway and historical research and uh, got to know several people and one day received a phone call and uh, I've had an extensive background in marketing and mostly in high technology and at executive positions and I was asked if I would like to be vice president of marketing and public relations for the Speedway and I didn't waste a moment in saying absolutely. And little did you know what we would suck you into. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't feel sucked into it at all. I feel fortunate to have encountered you, Chelsea, and some of the other folks we've been working with. And and I know what you're alluding to. Part of our uh, lead-up to the Indy 500 in May was our May 7th, what we called Emerging Tech Day. And that's a day where we invited people that um, have... A variety of solutions and what we discovered along the way was that really the most advanced in terms of um, fundamentally different um, automotive technology and aimed at um, auto sustainability was really the electric vehicle and of course Chelsea you're well known in those circles and um, we pulled together an event and just I'd say just it naturally evolved that the cornerstone of it became electric vehicles. We hosted um, three collegiate competitions, one hybrid, the other a pure electric vehicle go-kart race that was founded at Purdue University. And we also had um, our partner Chevrolet in here. They had all their volts, and um, they were providing ride and drives, and I got to drive one and was very impressed We also had an EV rally, so we had over 45 electric vehicle cars on the grounds that I got to go a lap around the speedway. We promoted it and told 
people, if you've got an electric vehicle and you'd like to take a lap around the speedway, just come on out. And uh, we did it fairly late in the game. Otherwise, I think we would have had a larger turnout. But nonetheless, there were 45 takers, and they had a ball taking a lap around the track. So it was a fun day. Um, we even had an Indy, an old Indy car that had been retrofitted with a electric motor. And one of our past um, Indy 500 drivers took it out for a couple of laps. And um, I think we stated our case that uh, really is all about uh, approve, providing a proving ground. And uh, we want to do that. And we're still exploring um, relationships with others throughout the industry. And we're wide open to conversation about how to engage and how the Speedway can be used as a platform not just for development, but I think as a world-class venue, a, a global brand name in our field, um, you put a car on the track at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and you have a terrific marketing platform. You can get a lot of attention for your product, and that's what manufacturers like to do. Absolutely. Well, and it's a, it's a hearts and minds issue, too. I mean, We've discussed a lot how alternative fuel vehicles tend to get painted all about the environment and yet so many people love them just because of the performance and the torque and the acceleration and until you see that in a showcase venue like that a lot of people don't get it yeah so the chat room is kind of excited about the idea of electric indie racing one day do you think we'll ever see it yeah are you are you asking me if we are you think if you i think, think we'll if we're going to see it yeah I, 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 you know, it's interesting. Yeah. After we announced uh, the Emerging Tech Day, um, I received an invitation to come to Washington, D.C. and speak to the board of directors of the uh, Electric Drive uh, Transportation Association. And I got there, and of course, Chelsea, you were at that uh, the meeting that um, that that uh, particular board meeting was associated with. And I was just really impressed at the caliber of people there and the companies that were represented. Uh, I think there were 24 um, officers on that board, and you're talking a variety, a real ecosystem that I could see emerging with um, power utility companies like PG&E and Duke Energy or companies that um, develop the uh, charging stations and other such infra infrastructure such as uh, General Electric and, of course, uh, major uh, automotive uh OEMs, and it was just a very um, impressive collection of people. And to a person, they were all telling me that they thought it was important to sell these electric vehicles through a performance message as opposed to simply a green or carbon-free message. And carbon-free is a great a great attribute to have in your brand, and it makes people feel good that they're doing the right thing. But pushing them to the tipping point that says, hey, I really respect these as automobiles, and I can have a uh, uh, a terrific time driving one of these things because they're high performance, and the torque coming off of these electric vehicles really demonstrates that. Um, it convinced me that uh, there's an appetite for that, so that's definitely a direction we want to explore and we are doing so. We're looking at hosting a um, a workshop uh, in October with uh, some special invitees in the industry uh, as well as in motorsports to uh, see if we can chart the course for exactly that to happen. 
it would be lots of fun. It's, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it, because racing was, I mean, as a historian, of course, you can answer this better than I can, but, I mean, it, it, historically, racing was really about pushing technology limits, and at some point, we just sort of hit a wall with as far as we can go with some of the technology, and, and racing really is also about being able to have that platform for testing and stuff, so I can imagine, like, having something that is alternatively based is a really exciting process prospect for a speedway, right? I think it holds a lot of promise, and one of the challenges motorsports has encountered uh, in recent years, and there's, it's, it's always a give and take because you're fighting this battle of um, escalating costs um, and at the same time uh, creating an on-track product that's truly interesting. And so this trade-off goes back and forth, but more recently there's been a concern that cars are too specified in terms of the um, regulations that of the technology that they must adhere to. And in a throughout most of this 100-year history of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, the rule book was fairly open and with uh, with room to explore and experiment comes tremendous leaps in innovation. I mean, at the Speedway, you've seen, at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, you've seen so many different types of cars. We've had, in 1931, we had a diesel engine-powered car that ran the entire distance without a pit stop. Uh, in 1967, we had a Pratt & Whitney turbine uh, engine car that nearly won the race. Um, turbocharging, uh, four-wheel disc brakes, uh, four-wheel brakes in general, Tire technology and paving technology have all um, reaped the benefits of being thrust into a situation where you were competing to demonstrate that your product was the best. And so this leaps and bounds kinds of progress, I think, is available to the emerging technologies all around automotive sustainability. And that, that's clearly where a lot of companies are putting their money right now as they start to look out towards the future. Well, we have a, a question from the chat room. Um, Jonathan Brown is asking, and, and you can help find this for me, because I know some of our maybe listeners don't understand what some of this means. He says, what fuel do IndyCars use, and could they ever use bioethanol along with a KERS system? And we should probably define for everybody else what a KERS system is. And then he goes on to say, I would definitely believe audience numbers would grow dramatically if hybrids, Hybrid cars with curves were available to race. Mm -hmm. Well, um, the curve system, and it's used in Formula One, I think, this year, um, is uh, a, uh, what is it, kinetic energy. Um, it's basically capturing the energy during the braking process and feeding it back into the, um, into the drivetrain, into the, in the propulsion of the motor. Uh, the, um, it's very expensive to do. It's not on any cars, uh, any cars today because it's very expensive. You can price a lot of people out of the sport with that kind of technology. Um, so there, there again is some of the trade-off. We do run 100% um, ethanol and have for the last couple of years, and we've been using an ethanol blend for several years now. So uh, that was a step in this uh, sustainability direction. But obviously, uh, you know, much greater leaps 
can be made available to us if we produce, if we uh, proceed uh, along the path we're kind of suggesting we might today. And this, this isn't. I want to make clear this isn't to speak for the IndyCar series and their regulations. Um, they have an exciting new formula coming out next year. But what we're really talking about here is what the what could happen at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and again consistent with its original mission. So we're inviting. In fact, we've we just announced um, something we call the Holman Challenge Trophy, which is named after Tony Holman, who's largely credited with resurrecting the speedway after World War II, and it is a trophy historically been for production based cars and trucks to determine who, what maker could produce a product that could travel the most miles in 24 hours. Um, I believe the last time that trophy was um, competed for was in 1996. What we're doing is reviving it, but we want to put this 21st century automotive sustainability spin to it. And so we're interested in talking to manufacturers, especially those that are producing um, auto sustainability uh, products. As I said, EV, just through our process here and talking to people, we're recognizing that those vehicles seem to be furthest along. But if someone has some other product, um, like a biodiesel hybrid, um, that would be interesting to us as well. We're interested in working with sponsors and manufacturers to define the criteria of what they want to test. And again, if it if it happens at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, that gives you a, a tremendous amount of bragging rights and certainly worthy, worthy of uh, advertising campaigns and marketing programs of that nature. That's amazing. Would you ever consider putting an algae field in the infield? An algae field? <laughs> hey, if there's a sponsor that has a proposal, we'll consider anything. It might not smell so nice. I don't know what everybody would put their um, RVs either. <laughs> That's some pretty exciting stuff. So, wow, that's it's, it's a big history. It's a, it's a really neat thing that that you guys are actually moving along. And this trophy that you're reviving, why was it suspended? Well, I think exactly. you know it's conventional technology and just the level of interest in in demonstrating that particular criteria. I I, I really can't answer that question definitively, but I I think. Um, a freshening up in the vein of what is um, what is emerging, what's what's the next step, uh, what needs to be demonstrated with the greatest amount of fanfare, um, and to uh, as you said, Chelsea, I believe, and and uh, as I noted in the uh, board meeting, um, performance in with these emerging vehicles is is really important to convincing people that they're sexy enough to purchase and fun to drive. Race on Sunday, buy on Monday. I'm sorry? I I should race on Sunday, buy on Monday. Yeah, there you go. Absolutely. Maybe Chelsea will be our next Danica Patrick. You ready, Chelsea? I'm known for my right foot. (laughs) There you go. Well, we can get you in a car and you can go for the Holman Trophy. You know you wouldn't have to try hard. <laughs> Although we still have to get Mark and a Tesla. That was one thing we weren't able to do on tech day. So we'll, we'll have yeah. to do that next year. You guys owe me that ride. Yes, oh, I do. You need to call them in on that one, Mark. I agree. 
Well, I'm going to see um, Mike Rowan at Duke yeah. Energy, and he has one, so maybe I can convince him. So who are Absolutely. some of the, the, like, I mean, you've met Chelsea, of course, who's awesome. Um, who are some of the interested people that, that Indy's attracting right now to this this new program? Well, the people we've been talking to, uh, Paul Mitchell, for example, he's the um, president and CEO of the Energy Systems Network in um, Indiana. And he has an entire, he has a whole host of companies that have, um, that are members of that organization. And again, they're expressing interest. Some of the same ones that that are um, in the Electric Drive Transportation Association in Washington, D.C. Um, Mike Rowan, who I just referenced, he's uh, he's a uh, evangelist at uh, Duke Energy and Duke and other power utilities. I know PG&E's on the board of EDTA. Um, recognize the potential and the benefit to their business to um, see a proliferation of electric vehicles on the road. And John Waters, who's impressed me, is a uh, a career entrepreneur. And uh, one of the things I know he did was help found uh, Bright Automotive. But I think he's actually got a number of companies that he's founded and is on the board uh, on their boards and and is a consultant and he's got a lot of bright ideas so and along with Chelsea those folks have been kind of the core group that have been working with us to define what we're doing but as I said there were a lot of impressive companies that I talked to that were um, expressed an interest in motorsports and and they, the consensus was um, that performance on the track was essential to setting fire to this demand. So, um, based on what I've seen, I think it's it holds a lot a lot of promise, and we want to continue to pursue it. It's you know it was just occurring to me. I'm going on Thursday to um, Mitsubishi because they're introducing a new charging station at their headquarters that's going to take up to eight cars um, mm-hmm. at a time, and it has every sort of voltage and um, a quick start charging station and everything. Um, and Mitsubishi's kind of always been in the background of a lot of, I mean, except for Rally, of course. Do you think that programs like this would um, sort of level the playing field for some people that wouldn't typically be in high-profile racing? I mean, I, I kind of think Rally's a little still on the sidelines, right? Mm-hmm. Well, what I would say about that is, and, and I'm kind of straying into the realm of speculation, I always like to do that, but um, I come from a high-tech background, so I've worked for a number of uh, high-technology firms, so I've, I have I always try to reference my pre- previous experience with uh, this scenario, and what I see is this, when you've got this, uh, we've got emerging technologies, and it, it, be, it becomes kind of a Wild West environment. It's pretty unpredictable. And a lot of decisions are life and death decisions for a business. Um, you can, it's venture capitalists are, and other kinds of angel investors are going to be interested. Um, it's um, it's the kind of thing where you place your bets. And um, to that extent, I think it does even the playing field to a degree. But you have to understand the objectives of a lot of these uh, folks and um, people that start businesses uh, typically start them with an exit strategy and it's not uncommon at all that their ambition is to sell it to a more established 
firm like a uh, Duke Energy or like, um, you know, one of the major automotive companies or GE. So they'll come up with great new technology, prove it in, uh, launch it, and then make, if, you know, given that they're successful, make a pretty penny uh, selling it to one of the big companies who then can take it to a level that, you know, they have the resources to take it to a level that a startup really struggles with. Does that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Very, it's very interesting that you have that sort of background. I mean, Chelsea and I sort of, being in Southern California, we sort of can't help but walk out the front door without tripping over high-tech startups. Yeah, I uh, <laughs> I uh, was uh, in a job in Silicon Valley for uh, for six years, and I got my MBA at San Jose State, with a, and all my classmates were, you know, high-tech uh, from high tech firms, so uh, it was it was a great experience, and um, and I think it does give me some insights on this scenario. Absolutely, I mean it's and what's great is that you're in, you're in a position, literally titled position, that is drawing from so you must have almost fainted when they offered you the job because it does bring together everything you've always done. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> I. I uh, couldn't argue with that, and it, it really is kind of a dream job for me. I'm just, uh, uh, you know, having grown up in Indianapolis, to me, this is the world capital of auto racing. That's our tagline, and I think it's defendable. And, um, you know, after 100 years of running a race, uh, in particular the Indy 500, that has um, uh, the world's, um, you know, largest attendance, approximately 400,000. It's telecast in 212 countries uh, worldwide, um, you know, a mega purse for the winner, and all that history. Um, it's just a fantastic opportunity, and um, I won't divulge any everything, but tomorrow we're ready to make another big announcement um, with NASCAR. At the end of the month, we run our, our NASCAR race, which is the Brickyard 400, and um, we're gonna we're gonna announce tomorrow a real blockbuster event for 2012, so uh, you might want to check out the uh, Motorsports Press for that tomorrow, because uh, that's going to be fun, and I think that will um, in 2012 we will absolutely own that weekend in motorsports uh, for because we're gonna have the biggest show on earth. That's awesome. We have two more questions actually from Jonathan Brown. He um, has asked, have you ever driven on the track? If so, did you ever drive your own vehicle on the track flat out? What type of high-performance, high-tech vehicle do you own, and do you think Tesla or Fisker will ever run their cars on the track? Uh, Tesla? Is that what it was? <laughs> you know, I'm trying to separate all these questions. That's quite a few. Was the last question about Tesla? Uh, will Tesla or Fisker ever run their cars uh, okay. on the track? Um well, okay, where do I start? I have driven around the track. I haven't driven it at speed. Uh be a good way to get fired. Um, insurance is a big <laughs> issue. Um, I'm very fortunate, and Chelsea took a picture of the car. She, she should send it to me. Um, the Speedway has provided me with a remarkable vehicle, um, a uh, 2011 Camaro SS, and I love all 435 horsepower. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's a lot of fun to drive, and I've I raced myself uh, many moons ago uh, in out in California, actually in Southern California, in Sports Car Club of America. So I do know what it feels like to drive as 
I'm not sure I ever drove as fast as the car could go, but I drove as, drove as fast as I could go. And uh, either way, it's thrilling. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's it'd be just speculating. I could see that we could run a production event, uh, you know, with electric vehicles or, or some kind of a classification for uh, production vehicles that uh, present... Uh, a convincing argument that they're founded in automobile sustainability, but as I say, that's that's pure speculation. We don't have any plans at that at the time to do that. But um, I know there's a bunch of companies out there, and they've already started. Um, we've talked to uh, Nissan Motorsports, and um, they have a motorsports program. And Chelsea can probably name off more than I can that have an interest in. A, a lot of it's around production vehicles, and uh, that's good stuff, too. We have another question from DC Auto Geek. I'm going to just tell you, he, he works on the Hill in the DC. So. Okay. <laughs> he says, I have a question for the marketing guy. What needs to happen to get people, especially the younger anti-car generation, into motorsports racing? Yeah, that's an interesting – I ponder that every day. Um you know, they're, they're, every um, motorsports organization in the world uh, shares the same goal. If, they, if you talk to their marketing people and their objectives is to attract a younger demographic. And um, honestly, I think it's interesting what we did uh, last or in, in May, uh, the, uh, the Emerging Tech Day that I referred to and, and the one that Chelsea was at. Um, in fact, she came out there with me and watched the Purdue uh, Invitational. There were 11 universities, I think 12 universities, probably 12, um, that competed, sending several teams each. Three were from the United Kingdom, so we had some international competition going. Um, again, all electric vehicle go-karts of their design. And um, there's, uh, there's some real excitement in this emerging area. And I think that a lot of it is just the challenge of being able to work on something and create something and, and know that, um, that some of the big fundamental issues have not already been figured out before you got there. It's your opportunity to define the product and uh, probably best suited to a younger perspective. And I think uh, we're dealing with a demographic that um, savers their opportunities to touch electronics. And um, I, I think that the way we need to look at these cars as they're coming into the future is, uh, you, you know, we, we don't, we don't want to get stuck in a paradigm, to use an overworked word, but get stuck into a pattern where we think of the car of today as a linear projection of what the car of tomorrow will be. So we kind of have to if you're really going to be open-minded about its design, you have to kind of cast all those preconceived notions aside. And uh, the the next-gen car, maybe sooner than we think, could look more like a computer interface when you sit down to to drive it. Um, so the more that is incorporated into uh, the vehicle, I think the more exciting it is for um, younger people. Very interesting. Well, I'm going to ask you one more question. I'm fine taking up all of Chelsea's time. <laughs> she probably has another question for you. Basically, so GM is obviously a big um, 
host or sponsor or whatever. Um, I mean, are they like the only ones that are super doing that right now? You mean as far as investing in electric vehicles? For the Speedway. Well, they are our primary automotive sponsor, but they're not exclusive. So if other um, automotive companies want to uh, define an experience or have a display or uh, you know, own a category, as we say in marketing parlance, um, that's open to discussion. So um, I know we'll be approaching a number of them for a variety of reasons. Among them will be things like this. Uh, I mean, we're going to do Emerging Tech Day next year, and it's probably going to be we, – we've kind of vacillating between the end of April and the beginning of May based on where we think OEMs might be. Um, but uh, we want to invite a host of OEMs. Uh, we want them to stage ride and drives like um, like Chevy did with their Volt this year. Um, but we also want to engage them in, in understanding what they think about motorsports competition and how they might want to be involved. Like I said, uh, uh, the folks at Nissan presented to me, they, they were very serious about what, you know, this is a, as an opportunity to promote their wares. So, um, they're, you know, they don't have to wait for us to tell them it's a good idea. They're, they're on it. Very cool. So apparently we're having technical difficulties while you were telling me that interesting answer. You're not going to make me repeat it, are you? I forget what I said. No, absolutely not. I was looking for questions, and our producer called in from vacation to say, there's something wrong with the the vid- our video, which oh. I, could, I could care less if they see Chelsea and I right now. You're giving great, great sound bites. That's what matters. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, Jonathan Brown is reiterating, he would find hybrid electric vehicle racing at Indy the coolest. What a great path to go on. He's super enthusiastic. Oh, wait, I missed Dave in China's question. I'm sorry, Dave. Can um, He said, any chance of tying virtual racers, even without prizes, into live racing? He thinks that would attract younger and more tech-oriented generations. Well, I don't know that, you know, I don't, I don't know what the tie-in would be to live racing, but I can tell you we kind of did that this year at um, the day before the Indy 500. So, um the Indianapolis 500 historically has been an entire month of activity leading up to the crescendo of the race. So lots of practice and lots of fun speculation and bench racing and, and lots of media coverage and other kinds of events. And, uh, among the many that we planned this year, I mean, in addition to emerging tech day, we also, um, built up the day before the Indy 500 and we had several things going on that day. Um, and we called it AJ Foyt Day because we celebrated AJ's 50th anniversary, the 500, his first 500 win. But among those many things was that we worked with iRacing.com, and we had a virtual Indy 500, which was kind of cool. So we had 33 competitors um, online from various parts of the country um, competing to win this race. And uh, we did have a winner. I forget his name. And... If I knew it, I'd, it'd be an opportunity to give him a plug. But um, 
you know, that was a neat thing. And uh, it's part of, as you say, the outreach to uh, appeal to a younger demographic and get them fascinated with uh, the sport. Um, and, you know, the Indy 500 itself is is a is a tremendous sporting event. And I, I've I've tried the iRacing game. I can tell you it is not easy. And based on what what little bit of experience I have and what imagination I have, I think this thing is pretty darn realistic. And uh, so we'll plan to do it again next year and always looking to take it to another level. How can we embellish it? So um, we're getting our best creative minds here in place and listening to people outside the business to uh, define experiences like the virtual Indy 500 that would be exciting for uh, probably predominantly a younger crowd, but um, Obviously, uh, nothing prevents someone of a of more advanced years to get involved. We have another question. Carl Mellick is asking, and I kind of know the answer to this one because uh, I know you have a Twitter, which is the number one, one super speedway. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, has IndyCar considered the use of social media platforms to promote races would also help attract the younger generation and give IndyCar access to a very powerful marketing opportunity. I mean, are you guys really invested in that right now, Mark? In uh, web platforms and social networking and so forth? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, go to our Facebook site. You can follow uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway on Twitter. You can follow the IndyCar series on Twitter. Um, You can follow our Indy 500 race on Twitter. You can follow our Brickyard 400 NASCAR race and our MotoGP uh, motorcycle race. And MotoGP happens to be the Formula One uh, equivalent of motorcycle racing. So it's the premier series in the world. Um, And our website, uh, we have a a couple of websites, IndianapolisMotorSpeedway.com and and then IndyCar.com. And I think if you get on there, you'll be pretty impressed at the amount of content, interactivity, um, you know, opportunities to um, to socialize. Like we have a a, a fan uh, a fan group called Indy Downforce and Indy Nation, Indy Car Nation. Um, so there, yeah, we're we're pretty heavily invested in that, but always looking to do more and and being creative because. Uh, you know, that's a constantly evolving arena, and if you're not thinking of how to make it better constantly, you, you'll just get left behind. Right. right that's really how, – how many people are kind of having to tackle all of those sites? How many people are coming to yeah, the I mean, site? Between Facebook and Twitter and all of those accounts and all the content that's mm-hmm. happening. I wish I had that number, but I can tell you we had over a million unique visitors for the um, Indy 500. Um, the Indy 500 page of our um, that was just the Indy 500 page the Indy 500 page of our website had over a million unique visitors in just one month that on the month of May so it's a lot of traffic that, that, that's a lot of people yeah I'm impressed <laughs> <laughs> always one more it's very it's very loyal um crowd though isn't it it is hugely loyal and we've done market research to demonstrate that the brand loyalty is outrageous so if somebody sponsors a car our fans notice and they like to see 
the car is sponsored. They understand that they need a lot of money to I mean, that the each each car owner is his own business. I mean, those are those are all corporations running these race teams now, and uh, and their business is motorsports, and in some cases it's exclusively fielding a car in in the IndyCar series. So um, our fans are fiercely loyal to the products that they see, um, you know, assisting the sport that they love. Very cool. Well, I would imagine that some of the, I mean, you know, cars, of course, and the drivers themselves and their fire suits have tons of tons of different sponsors all over them. And I would imagine um, a sort of alternative series would invite a bunch of different businesses that haven't previously thought about supporting racing to the forum, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, I, I see opportunity there, absolutely, when you see, like, um, you know, it's not every day you're going to see Duke Energy or uh, PG&E uh, telling you that they're interested in, in motorsports. Uh, you know, that's conventional motorsports. You just don't see it. So I think it opens the door to a whole range of um, corporations that could suddenly find motorsports appealing because they can, they make that clear connection between um the, their product and their product success in the marketplace. Very cool. Chelsea, anything from you? Oops. Did I did mute you, her again? Did you mute her again? She's, oh, she's my God. Hmm. Well, we seem to be having technical difficulties, but I know, Mark, that she would be telling you right now, I'm going to get off the line here and fix this with our producer. I'm going to call him on his vacation. But I um, really appreciate you coming on to – um, talk to us because this is really interesting. I hope I get to go to Indianapolis someday soon, and hope, maybe Chelsea and I'll come do a live broadcast from there. That would be really fun. You would be welcome to do that, absolutely. So just let us know. Well, thank you. You want to call out some of the Twitters and the Facebook fan pages that you want everybody to know about? Well, like I say, we we've got IMS has its Twitter page. Uh, IndyCar Series has their Twitter Twitter uh, feed, and. Um, they both have Facebooks and our events, uh, you know, Indy 500, Brickyard 400, and uh, Moto GP, uh, Indianapolis uh, Red Bull, uh, Moto GP, Moto, uh, Moto GP race has its own uh, Facebook and Twitter feed. So uh, there's a lot there. And if you go in and you start looking at all the drivers, I think virtually every IndyCar driver uh, has a uh, has a Twitter site as well and, and websites and so forth. And obviously folks like Danica Patrick are pretty popular and uh, some of the more prolific uh, uh, people in social networking are guys like uh, Tony Kanaan. But uh, most of these drivers are, are of a younger age, so they're right in sync with the whole social networking. I mean, that's how they were raised and uh, they totally get it and they're fun to follow. That sounds great. That's a that's a lot of people to follow. That's a whole following right there. Yeah, there you go. I mean, you just pick out. I, mean, I don't know how many IndyCar drivers there are. I mean, a lot more than consistently race uh, every weekend. So uh, you know, you're dealing with uh, 40, 50 people that could uh, teach you a lot about the sport if you're interested. Absolutely, and I just I know from Twitter myself that um, I also follow a lot of crew chiefs and. Um, team members that aren't the drivers. I mean, mm-hmm. they're all really active in talking about their 
profession and how much they love it and, you know, some of the issues that go on behind the scenes, and it's it's fascinating. Yeah, and they, they also comment on their personal lives sometimes <laughs> to the point of oversharing. So I guess uh, for, for some people that's interesting too. So, uh, But it's, very, it's a very robust environment in uh, social networking. But, and like I say, uh, uh, look at our uh, Brickyard page tomorrow and uh, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway page because you'll see a really big announcement tomorrow that I'm real proud of and uh, really excited about. We're going to have the president of NASCAR flying into Indianapolis. I mean, it's it's that big. He wants to be here, and he wants to talk about it. So, uh, you know, it would be a good thing to see on Autoline. Yep, that would be fantastic. Well, we've enjoyed having you so much. Thank you, Mark Dill, Vice President of Marketing and PR for the Indianapolis Speedway. We really appreciate you taking the time to come and talk to Chelsea and I tonight. Sure. And, um, you know, you guys can find Mark online, One Speed, One Super Speedway on Twitter is probably the most direct way, right? And yeah, and I've, I've got a Facebook site as well. Absolutely. Oh, cool. Then we will have you back on so we can do a check-in and see how the program's going. I'm so excited you're there. What a great job. Well, thank you so much for having me, and I'd be always happy to, uh, to join and uh, have a conversation with you. Like this show? There's a whole lot more where this came from. Just join us on the first Tuesday of every month between 8 p.m. and 12 a.m. Eastern Time and dial 1-712-432-0900 with PEN 911-633. Get even more info about this and many other automotive programs at autolinedetroit.tv. Follow me, Michelle Naranjo, at twitter.com slash missmotormouth or Chelsea Sexton at twitter.com slash evshells. Until next time, happy motoring. Please hang up now. If you need assistance, dial your operator. This is a recording.